0: From the digital team at savannahnow.com, this is Difference Makers, a podcast featuring interviews with Savannah's community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. I'm Adam Van Bremmer, and joining me on this Difference Makers episode is Jamie Cradle, the director of the Davenport House Museum, where Savannah's historic preservation movement began more than a half century ago. Difference Makers is presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Each telling a story about our city's fascinating history. One of the more popular sites, the Davenport House, marks its 200th birthday in 2020. The museum's director, Jamie Cradle, is our Difference Maker today and shares insights on the Davenport's history, historic preservation movement it inspired, and how the house and museum and cultural sites locally and around the world will need to evolve once the coronavirus threat passes. As for the genesis of the Difference Makers podcast, we launched this initiative two years ago as a way to feature the men and women who are making a difference in our community. They hail from several sectors including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. You probably recognize the names, or at least the organizations, that these difference makers represent. This podcast is a chance to learn what makes them successful. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this interview with the Davenport House's Jamie Cradle. So this
2: is the April 17th edition of the Difference Makers Podcast, and we're pleased to be joined now by Jamie Cradle. We are doing this by phone because of the coronavirus that has driven us out of the office, out of the studio. So uh, it may be a little rough going here and there, but please hang with us as as Jamie and I are are more than likely going to talk over each other because we can't look at each other and that's quite all right, but we'll do our best and we appreciate everybody's patience. But Jamie, first of all, thank you for agreeing to come on and be our difference maker and to talk a little bit about the Davenport house and historic preservation and history and and everything in between. Uh, I know that the 200th anniversary is coming up and it's a very exciting time for you, but, Let's kind of start – we always start these with a bit of biographical information. And let's – before we get into your biography, let's get the background on the house. Let's get the background of the museum. I think a lot of people understand that in the 50s, it was kind of the the linchpin, the property zero for historic preservation in downtown Savannah. But let's go back to 1820, and can you kind of walk us through the the early days of the house and the people that built it and the role that it played in, in that era?
1: Very good. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me. Uh, Well, we are historians here, so the reason that we know that 1820 is the Davenport House's birthday is through historical research and Tax records uh, of Isaiah Davenport, who was a master builder from New England, and in 1821 he got a big increase in his taxes. So that's when we realized that on lot 13 on Columbia uh, in Columbia Ward that um, something was taking place here, and so that's what we believe that the house was completed and the household moved in. So because we know that information that someone has done this basic historical research, we can start our story around 1820. And so the reason that we talk about the 1820s is because that's the period that we have the most information. We know that the Davenport household lived in the house between 1820 and 1827 when Isaiah Davenport, um, the builder and the owner of the house died of yellow fever. So the story that we tell in the museum is of that time period with a little bit before and a little bit after because that's the period that we have the most information. So when you come to the Davenport House, we talk about the preservation movement and our role in it, but we also talk about, primarily talk about this early period um, because, again, it's all about documentation. And um, and I think that Isaiah Davenport's story is kind of identifiable with people. He was a man that came down to Savannah uh, trying to get a job. Moving for his job, uh, trying to um to make his way in the new nation, he had apprentice carpentry up in uh, New England. Couldn't get a job because of the embargo up and down the, the eastern seaboard, and he, I guess he heard that there were opportunities in the port city. Got here not knowing anybody but his brother, and um worked real hard. Jumped into civic life, got married, and after several years, um he built uh, what we assume was his dream house, but also an example of his skill on this lot 13 on Columbia Square to show people that he could build a fine house just like a contractor today builds a big house to show his skill hoping that people would hire him but it was also a home for uh, his family and his household. So
2: in 1820, how how far south, how far down the bluff has Savannah extended? Is this basically in the heart of it or is this on the edge?
1: This is on the edge um now um Columbia Ward was um laid out in eight, 1790. So it had been a few years and I don't know the date when Green Square, but it was still sort of, it wasn't exactly in the heart of the city. It was on the edge, right close to the woods. Um, And so, you know, it's it's part of the expansion of of the city and the squares, um, both um, to the east and the west and the south.
2: Yeah. How 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 does it fit in with the surroundings, the showpiece?
1: Oh, certainly. Um, you know, uh, I do a walk tour about, uh, 1820 Savannah. And if you walk around and see what's left of the old city, you'll see a lot of this federal style, conservative architectural specimens, generally made out of wood. Those that survived the fire of 1820 and, um, in, um, Columbia Ward, uh, Green Ward, and particularly, um, Washington and Warren. Uh, squares, you'll see these wooden houses and they're all rather simple. But what Mr. Davenport did was he amped it up. He's got this big brick federal style house that sort of is bigger and more bold. Um, But it was of the style that people um, generally liked in the 1820s. But Mr. Davenport's was brick and um, a little bit bigger, a little bit bolder. And then, of course, on the inside as well. So the outside's federal architecture, symmetrical, conservative. Inside, walk through the front door, and you see um, this um, big, large hallway that terminates in this beautiful handcrafted staircase. And you'll see vestiges of the Greek Revival architectural style that was coming into fashion. So, if you're an architectural student, you you like seeing this transition from federal architecture to the Greek revival inside. So yes indeed it is a show place and it continues to be that today.
2: So it, it, you, you mentioned he gets into civic life. He's a master he's a master builder. How much influence does he have in town and what what kind of role does he play beyond just being one of the, I assume, the wealthy, one of the wealthier people in town at that point.
1: Yeah, he was wealthy, but it was money that he made himself. He was not part of the coastal um, elite. He was a working man that went to the to the job site every day. So I think there is a demarcation there that he was, um, you know, a man that works with his hands. I, I'm sure that the whole idea of work is very different. In the, uh, but I'm, he um he was part of the mechanics which was uh, um, an organization of the skill builders in savannah and i think that their um that their uh, record books were lost to the time but um we know this from the newspaper because we do newspaper research and uh, as well as uh, other types of research um, that he was elected by the mechanics along with another uh, um, builder named John Ash to be their representative on the board of aldermen. So he was on the city council um, representing his peers. So, um, so we know a bit about him through city council records and of course city council people, um, uh, influence what happens um, while they're um, serving in that capacity. So, he was on the city council, I believe, during the Great Fire of 1820. So, he was part of the um, the group that, uh, that built ref- refugee housing. There's a real parallel between 1820 and today um, because there was this disastrous fire, which burnt up much of the city. So, there are all these local people that escape with nothing but their bedclothes or whatever, or very little. And so he was involved with with building housing for people and for getting people into some sort of um, shelter. Um, and, then, uh, and then also there was this terrible yellow fever epidemic that happened like five months later. So that's one of the things that really is kind of is frightening to yeah. think. Well, you get one terrible thing, and then another one comes right on its heels. So he was involved with um with with uh, all of this city government's decisions about handling that epidemic as well as the fire. He was also a warden, um, in the square, public safety. Of course, if you look at that from a different perspective, he might have been one of those people that would um. Send enslaved people uh, to the guardhouse if they were out without a curfew, um, without during the curfew without a pass. So, so that kind of thing. He was involved. He got in that pretty early. You know, he got here in 1809, and he began um, it. Be, civic life, being a warden and that kind of thing early on in his um, in his. Uh, living here in his residence here
2: in Savannah. You mentioned the, he passed in 1827, did the family, did the house stay in the family, where did the house go once he was Right. It's a,
1: it's, it's a real poignant story, you know, he's um, got this young family, he's in his early 40s, um, his wife's pregnant with child number 10 and then we know that he went somewhere else to Warren Square where he died, where he passed. Um, And one assumes it's because, you know, he's had these little baby children and his wife's getting ready to have a baby and he died of yellow fever. This was not an epidemic year because they always had yellow fever, just not to the extent that they did in 1820. But Mrs. Davenport uh, uh, kept the house uh, as her home until 1840. Um, And that's an interesting story as well because um, they had an estate sale and that's where we get our primary document, the um, inventory taken at the time of his death where his things were sold, but then they were bought back. So it's kind of like being mortgaged. So Mrs. Davenport did not lose her house or all of her enslaved people. She got them back um, mortgaged, um, and she kept the house um, as a family home and also renting out rooms until 1840 when she moved to some other uh, part of Savannah to live out her life in the city. For 13 years um, after he died, she lived here with her family and her enslaved workers.
2: So eventually the ha- the house changes hands and then I assume it, it kind of bounces around until we get to a century or so later when all of a sudden the house is endangered. I, I hate to take a big leap from a century leap there, but w- what are some of the high points between when she leaves the house and when the the ladies that are basically the founders of Historic Savannah enter the picture.
1: Yeah, because it's really interesting you should ask that question because, uh, you know, when you have a historic house, there are lots of decisions that you make about the story that you tell. But you are right. There are about 109 years there, which is much longer than the Davenports lived in the house. Um, and, mm-hmm. and when the house became a museum or became part of the Historic Savannah Foundation. And a student from SCAD, I think back in the, um, around 2000, named Christy Chase did a um, a master's paper on what we call the tenement years um, or when the house was not um, owned by the Davenport or Historic Savannah Foundation. It was owned by the Bayard family um, of, of South Carolina and they were a, a wealthy plantation owning family and the house became their in townhouse, their in-home okay. dwelling and then over time it became a single family home that was rented out and then uh, became apartment living so um, so all of that is documented in her thesis, and we've got all the records on who um, owned apartments, and it's very interesting. But the decision that we have made here was to interpret that, you know, period with the Davenport. So there's lots of highlights, very interesting. Um, we could be the Lower East Side Tenement Museum, Savannah, if we chose that to be our interpretive emphasis. But um, yeah. so... There's a lot of stories there that are and we hope also at some point that we can open the attic area of the of the house to talk about what tenant life was like, because goodness knows there's nobody really telling that story now and. Some of those people um, were of Chinese descent, uh, which is fascinating in itself um, that we're a city of immigrants being a port city. um, So that's ripe for storytelling.
0: The Difference Makers podcast is a great way to learn about Savannah and those who make the city tick. But there's a catch, of course, the two week wait between episodes keep up with all that's going on in our town on a more regular basis by signing up for our free newsletters. We deliver an opinion page newsletter daily, and our news team does likewise. And for the foodies and Georgia Southern fans among the audience, weekly newsletters on those topics are available as well. Visit savannahnowcom slash newsletters now to get those newsletters delivered straight to your email inbox. Again, that's savannahnowcom slash newsletters.
2: Fast forward talk about 50s the house is threatened with demolition downtown savannah is is i guess slowly but surely losing some of its historic feel some of its historic charm and what is it It, i'm speaking off top of my head i don't have it in front of me but there's there's seven women who step up and say we need to do something about saving this house and then it blossomed the whole historic savannah foundation movement blossomed from there
1: I like to go back to the 1930s um, where president Roosevelt uh, put people to work with new deal programs. Um, and um and so it, it, there was a program, and it still exists, called the Historic American Building Survey. And you can go on to the Library of Congress's website today and and type in Savannah, and you'll get a whole list of, of structures that were considered historic or important. And they weren't just, just rich people houses. They were tenements like the Davenport House and other ones. Well, um, in the 1930s, these photographers and photographers and documenters came up, uh, documenters came uh, down across America, They came to Savannah, and they surveyed, I believe it was 56 structures, buildings that they considered historically important. And so all of those records um, were and are in the uh, Library of Congress. Um, So, but by 1954 55, 13 of those significant structures had been lost.
2: Talking about City Market, we're talking about DeSoto, we're talking about the train station, some of the just, when you look at pictures now, just stuff that is just beautiful.
1: You can't, be- can't believe that those things were lost. Um, and um, the Wetter House. So there were some people that were really thinking in a thoughtful way about what we were losing. And of course, the loss of the city market um, was sort of a light bulb moment like, if, if we can lose this, what's next? And so, um, with the destruction of the city market, the next building slated for demolition, or the next building that people heard heard about that was going to be demolished was the Davenport House, which was a tenement oh. across the street from Columbia uh, Square across from um, the goby Funeral Home, which is now the um the uh, the Kehoe Inn. Uh, so uh, the story is that um, that the people over at the Goody Funeral Home wanted uh, to. The house became came up for sale, and they wanted to purchase it with the idea that it would become. Uh, 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 they want to tear it down to become a surface parking lot, which is not bad. I mean, people want that today. Um, so you don't want to uh, demonize or vilify the people that want places for their patrons to park. Um, but the seven women. And they wanted to create a plan in Savannah to save the old city. But I think we all know that sometimes in our city that you need a cause celeb to to, to to whip people up into a frenzy to, to change. And I, I love the story that all of these people met in the Gold Room of the DeSoto Hotel. It's like, they're going to tear down the Davenport House. And, I'm, you know, these ladies that had tried to create a plan uh, uh, sort of rallied around the idea of saving the Davenport House. And these people um, banded together and um, raised the money to buy the house from the Godies um, or from the Summerlands who own the Godie Funeral Home, and um, and that was the first effort of Historic Savannah Foundation. It was never intended to be the only effort. Um, they wanted again to save the old city and the old structures, um, but we were the first thing that Historic Savannah did, which has gone on to national prominence with their revolving fund. Um, but we're the beacon of the preservation movement, the organized preservation movement, group action through grassroots um, activism.
2: So your focus is is the Davenport House and the museum. But as you've, you've been here a couple of decades now, when you look back and, and say, and see what started with the Davenport House and what it has grown to now, I'm kind of blown away when I look at it and think about it as somebody who's a lot closer to it. What is your impression of of what the Davenport House salvation has led to in downtown Savannah? Uh well I've
1: got friends who who um are my age who, who said that when they were younger they could never envision um, what the city has become is kind of like, um, uh, you know, looking like a, a Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. Once you got to eyes and everything's in Technicolor, the flowers are more beautiful. Um, there's a real concern for for beauty as well as saving the old buildings. I, I'm I'm blown away too. I'm really fortunate um, to to live in a place. Like Savannah, that has been able to pull itself up, rise like a phoenix, um, uh, and 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 create uh, a, a an environment that's so welcoming to people, but also that's based on. Having saved uh, these old buildings, I mean, that's the basis for um, our tourism industry. I don't think people like think about it real deeply about, you know, they just kind of like the historic ambiance. But it's taken (laughs) private ownership of these houses one at a time um, to share with the world. And it's just, I'm just, I'm blown away like you are. It's just sort of... um, a fantastic thing and then we've attracted these young um, restaurant people and we've become foodie and um, and we've got people that make a living um, uh, giving tours and explaining to the world um, for for somebody that loves history like you and I do it's like it's, it's like the end of the rainbow
2: Those seven pioneers did you have much of a chance to get to know many of them and can you share any stories about kind of the
1: relationship well, with that. I, No, I, um, I, they were all, um, had all passed from the scene when I got here in 2002. But what I, People that I um, did know and do know are the people that were inspired by them, Um, ladies like Kay Cobb and Cornelia Groves and ladies at the Trustees Garden Club that were so inspired um, by this activism uh, that um, you just, they're so rooted in place. Uh, their stories of, um, you know, they talk about ladies in pearls. But um, these are people that got things done. uh, And um, uh, Anna Hunter was, uh, because the uh, Savannah Voice Festival a couple years ago wrote a musical about Anna Hunter, the lady who spearheaded the um, uh, historic Savannah Foundation. And she was, um, a single mother and a writer for the newspaper and an artist and I've um, just sort of envisioned or or, or put together um, the ideas for saving the city. It's just powerful what what one person can do um, when they talk to their friends. And um, and and try to do something without a road map. They did it themselves. And uh, Lucy McIntyre was an important uh, civic leader. They're all interesting people um, that um, that came together. And, and uh, so so I, I never met them, but I met the people that were influenced by them, and and I'm influenced by those
2: people. So you mentioned you came in 2002, and. You didn't have much of a connection when you got here. Can you kind of talk about your your journey to being the head of the, the Davenport House and, and- – being a real uh, influencer in the city of Savannah?
1: Oh, that's nice for you to say. Um, I'm from a little town in rural eastern North Carolina, and of course it was before internet and even cable TV, and so um, got magazines, and I just I, I latched on to the idea that museum work was what I wanted to do, and I didn't have anybody to tell me that that wasn't possible. And so went to college, I went to a small um, uh, woman's college in North Carolina, Salem College, and I um, got a master's degree. And of course, there was no roadmap for being a museum person either. So I uh, just went from job to job uh, looking for a place to land. And one of the places that I went was the Jekyll Island Museum and gave tours there for a year. And I got a full-time job um, at uh, a national trust property in South Louisiana. I spent uh, about 10 years in the Gulf Coast and um, really learned a lot. You learn a lot on the job I experience uh, putting on programs and volunteer coordination and PR. Um, and just prior to coming here, I worked in Akron, Ohio, at Stan Hewitt Hall and Gardens as their um Assistant Director for Museum Education and Social History. And that's just a beautiful title. Who doesn't want to be that? But um, that was during a time of financial issues, too. And of course, um, generally speaking, museum educators um, are, are the first to go when there's fi- financial issues. Um, and so I started looking for opportunities. And um, I saw this opportunity in Savannah, I was interviewed by um, the people of the Davenport House and Historic Savannah Foundation. And it really, um, and I've been here for 17, 18 years. It's just been exactly what I, I wanted uh, to be in this fantastic house museum and sharing its history with the community. So I've been very, very fortunate uh, to spend my entire career doing
2: museum work and then being here for the past 18 years. Was your first trip to town that, the, the trip for the interview?
1: No, I had my girlfriend. I, I worked at Jekyll Island Museum, and uh, okay. um, and we were all interns. We lived in the back of Cherokee Cottage, and we gave tours all day long. And um, for a year, that was the experience at the time. And my girlfriend's name is uh, Jane Parkerson, and her family um, was from Savannah. Her parents graduated from Savannah High School, and um, and she brought me here. Um, well, she got a job at the Telfair Museum as as their museum educator, and so I was still at Jekyll Island, and she had gotten a full time job here, and I got to come and stay. I, she, I think, she lived on Barnard Square, and I think when was this? This was around 1989 or so, maybe 87. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I um, came to, to um, St Patrick's Day, and um, and I, and. So that was my first experience visiting Savannah, where did I have any memory of it, and that was just fun and and Savannah. And then I got married uh, in 1990 um, when I was working um, in Louisiana, and we we spent our honeymoon here before going on to Charleston. So I had been here before. and i knew I knew that I loved the city then I never really thought that I would have the opportunity um that i've had
2: right so you had a little bit of a uh you've been charmed by it before so when the opportunity came up it was it was an easy
1: sell an easy sell in fact um, uh, when I uh, was going c- coming to interview my pe- friends in Ohio were thinking well why not well how great is that how did you get that opportunity and I, I ask myself a lot that as well but yeah they They. a lot of people are envious of getting to spend as much time in Savannah as I've had
0: We are speaking with the Davenport House's Jamie Cradle on this episode of the Difference Makers podcast. Before we continue our discussion, let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a greater place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether you're a business looking to relocate to Savannah or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is a centrifuge of your propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting ceta.org. Now back to Jamie Cradle.
2: You mentioned you were a museum educator. Now you're a museum director. What is, kind of walk us through what are the, what are the differences and what is, how was the transition for you? And, and then how does having the education background kind of impacted how you led the museum.
1: Uh, well, museum educators are the, the, the people touchers in, in the museum field and you put together tours and you shepherd tour guides through their training and you put on exhibits and, um, and uh, you're the people part of the, of the museum world. Um, at least when I started, uh, the museum field was the, the, the big people in the museum field back in the day were the curators that got to touch the objects. And do the research, and and they were the people in the inner sanctum of museums, and then the museum, the educators were the the people part, um, and that's sort of turned upside down, and now the people people. Are, are really more important that you do care about your audience. So c- caring about the audience and the people that that are, are on the front line are what museum educators do. Now museum directors have to care about every single component of the museum, from the toilet paper to um, to how we get money in and donors. So money. it's um, wow. and raise money. And of course, the Davenport House, up until the present moment, has been sort of uh, um, the yeoman of museums. We've been able to take care of our, our um, obligations through um, admissions and um, and programming, and um, and and rentals. And so that that's one of the things that has changed over the past two months is that, that that's not happening now but um so it's being able to manage and 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 um and not go in the red is what museum directors do okay. is that i don't know if that's enough uh, elaboration but and being and being no, no, no. concerned with all relationships not just with the ones with the your tour guides
2: i know that your your education background has kind of guided how the the museum's story has evolved. Can you kind of talk about uh, what, you, what, what the focus was when you came in and how that has evolved in the years since?
1: Well, when I first got here, we had just done a re restoration of this fine uh, museum house, and um, we had uh, gotten um, um, a new look on the interior and began to focus on the 1820s. Um, but the big uh, discussion point when I first got here was our wallpaper, um, and I'm that uh, you know, why you make choices on why the interior spaces look the way they do. And of course, for us, it's based on the history. But for people visiting, it's based on their own taste. And so they would say, oh, it's ugly wallpaper and all that. Well, that's not the point. Uh, The point is it looks like it did when the people lived here in the 1820s. And that has evolved over time as we ask different questions about uh, the past. And so um, for the past um, at least 10 years, we really tried to be better teachers of the story, which involves researching more about everybody that lived in the household, particularly with us, the enslaved workers who lived here. And we've been very fortunate to, uh, to get, um, a student, uh, particularly a young woman named Kelly Westfield who did her, uh, master's paper from, um, Georgia Southern Armstrong on the enslaved workers who lived here. So that has allowed us to broaden the narrative to talk about people that we know about. And and what she was able to do was she was able to research the people that we knew that Isaiah Davenport owned back through their deed records. So we know these people, many of these people's parents and where they lived um, and and information about them. But it's all from historical research. It's not speculation or fancy, because when you try to because you know fancy is maybe what you want it to be history is what you find out is true i mean one of the things that i found out and understand very clearly is history belongs to the documented and so the people that are documented we can talk about more broadly than we ever had before through historical research
2: yeah and that's that's an interesting little sidebar right is that for so long the historical record of and the stories of the enslaved people Really wasn't told, and now there's a big push at a lot of a lot of museums across the south to to tell more of those stories and It's also met with some some controversy or a little bit of pushback from from different people in different areas. How have you kind of managed that side of it, and do you see that coming more and more i don't know if acceptable is the right word but but do you think people are more embracing? a more comprehensive story of of the history.
1: Um, Well, I'm a real advocate for house museums, and most house museums are mom-and-pop operations that really don't have the uh, facility or the expertise to be good researchers of their past. So they tell stories that they've always told um, and so, so to, to, to diss on, on all house museums in the American South because they don't know their story, I always tell people if you're a historian or if you're a student of history, go help somebody because there are lots of house museums that could use your skill as opposed to, um, saying that they're just saying wrong stuff. Go help them say the right things. <laughs> But um, but yes, uh, the stories throughout the American South and throughout the nation have been broadened thanks to our peers in the big places like uh, Mount Vernon and Monticello, the White House. They have shown us by their example how to do things better. And so, as a consequence, uh, the big boys in Savannah, like um, uh, the Telfair Museum and Owens Thomas House, I mean, they're leaders in the nation now on telling the story of the enslaved workers. So we, um, that are not as uh, as big, but um, can can use their example to uh, be better at what we do. So um, so, yeah, the world is because people want to know people from all over the world want to know what happened here. um, And they're asking different questions. And so it's up to us to 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 be good stewards and to find out the answers to the questions and hopefully be a bit proactive about the stories that we tell.
2: Yeah. Some people talk about you know, well, you're focusing on, on the history of slavery and, and maybe you're even celebrating it. Does that kind of criticism, how, how do you deal with that? And
1: Well, you know, it's like dealing with criticism is hard. Um, it's like, I look at TripAdvisor every day, even though nobody's um, putting anything on TripAdvisor right now, it's still the same number. Mm-hmm. And so you get like uh, 5,000 positive reviews and that one negative one is the one that you fixate on, and it's, it's just like you can't. So that it's like criticism about anything. Now, as far as criticism about our interpretation. Um, you know, we—it's—I it, guess it's like being a movie star. If you spend so much time dwelling on your negative reviews, you'll never be able to get up on stage. So, we just need to keep focused on what we do well and what our story is, and and try to let that stuff, the criticism, roll off our back and try to do as best we can. If we fixate on all the criticism. Um, you just won't be able to sleep at night,
2: yeah, you gotta do what's right, correct. You can't just right. you, know, you, you can't worry about offending offending people. History is what history is uh and the whole point what? is to is to make sure more of the history is told and
1: and, and, sometimes and try it's to make not pretty. it pretty it's not pretty and try to make it um you know. Uh, I, my college roommate went uh to the holocaust museum and of course she had she said she just had a, a very positive experience. What a terrible story horrible story, but right. she learned right. more than she ever expected to from that experience so that's a part of sort of what we try to do here is to Tell the difficult story, but um, but it's also about survival and resilience and the fact that we can tell a story about Nancy, a runaway, because she's documented. We know that she ran away from Davenport because we have the runaway slave ad, and that now she is the person that we emphasize here because we have her story. So. I mean, it's 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 an it's an example of resilience and perseverance and 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 I really do believe that um that that learning and knowing history is a is a way of coping with how difficult things are. Like goodness knows, um you know things are bad, but we're not having to deal with the potato famine and eating dirt. So it's like you know if they can manage to survive, I think we'll be able we'll be okay.
2: You mentioned the 200th anniversary, 200th birthday. You had grand plans for that prior to the pandemic outbreak. What are you, what are you still planning or what are you doing in terms of marking that? Marking that anniversary. Uh,
1: well, uh, we're like all these brides who've had to put off their grand day. Um, and then maybe what we do will be a whole lot more enriching for people. We're thinking about when we reopen that maybe that will be our celebration, uh, you know, with uh, reopening uh, uh, to to local people um, in the new world, social distancing, uh, maybe have cake. But um, so we're still Trying to plan that um, and uh, what we had thought would be a birthday party fundraiser we can do next year um, when we're able to um – to get together and celebrate maybe a little bit closer. So um, so we're still working on that. Um, but, um, you know, it's just there, there are opportunities uh, to utilize the Davenport House, even though we're closed. Um, we're trying to post things on our Facebook page every day, things both that are um, sort of serendipity and, and light, but also um how we wax our floors, uh, how we um, do research. Uh, We're trying to show people by example things that they can do. Um, you know, uh, yesterday we, we posted um, that if you've got kids at home and you're looking for an activity, well, put together a tour of your own house, uh, inventory your house, um, put together, uh, talk about the favorite things that you have at your home and why they're favorite to you. Um, I wish I'd had conversations like that with my mother or my parents, you know, sitting around like, well, what, why do you like this thing? Or, or um, So there, there are opportunities. To use the Davenport House by example, as in the same way. Now you and I, I think, both remember the American bicentennial. It was a big deal, and uh, and it was an opportunity to look back, um, both to celebrate, but to to think about what has gone before. And so that really is the point of of a of a 200th birthday celebration is just to look back and use that past um, to to celebrate and also as um, a model or or an example of
2: the past I want to spend the balance of the conversation talking a little bit about coronavirus impact, um, whether it's on the Davenport House, whether it's on the larger museum community, and then we can kind of circle back and talk more locally and what you think it's going to do in terms of Savannah tourism. But from a broader standpoint, I know the museum community, like a lot of communities, is probably pretty small, and y'all talk to each other. What is everybody's Take on where we go once we start to reopen, and 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 how does it change what you do at least for the next probably year or so?
1: It just I'm sort of initially was dumbfounded, dumbfounded. I just mm-hmm. I, the whole I felt like it was lead in my shoes. It's the whole thing just it was beyond because I've been to you know disaster preparedness workshop. And of course, they usually focused on hurricanes, and there's always a beginning, a middle, and an end for those things. And and then and then this is just it's taken a while to sink in and, and we're all just trying to figure out, well, what does, what has just happened? And, um, and so I've been doing a lot of Zoom um, participation meetings. Um, our um, American Association for State and Local History had three programs last week. One was on the revealed structural weaknesses with regard to museums. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, that we, we don't Often have cash reserves to get us through an extended closing, and that's just not that stuff that we had ever uh, thought about. And one of the things, one of the uh, points that they brought up is that a this is nationally, but a third of the museums that are closed now will probably not reopen. And um, that's very, I would assume, very. Typical, similar to what might happen to the restaurant scene in our town. Um, so, um, and then there's one on historic houses and one on, on keeping your docents, um, um engaged during the closing. But we're we're just talking about it now. In fact, there was a conversation that we're going to have on Zoom, and we've all learned how to use Zoom. Tomorrow, about what opening will look like—social um, distancing and um, and and uh, sanitizing and 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 wearing masks and wearing gloves and and um, and what that means in tight spaces. So we are just trying to feel our way through. What we think it will be, knowing that all of this is changing day by day, so um, we're just beginning to grasp the um, the weight uh, and the and the transformation. But it's also an opportunity um, because our staff was just talking yesterday about uh, we've always done our tours exactly the same way. Um, uh, you know, we start in the basement. And we go but maybe it's time to start outside and look at the outside of the museum house and um, spend some time thinking about the architecture. maybe uh, do a, a, a combination self-guided guided tour that allows people the opportunity to experience the house not completely with the docent but th- that allows for the safety of our um, patrons. So it's all, and we're all looking at, at, at what our colleagues are doing, and and nationally, and because we have the opportunity to be to do this virtually, that we can learn from colleagues all over the country. So, our Coastal Museum Association is working um, closely together, but looking at examples and trying to figure out our way of doing um, doing our reopening.
2: Yeah, because it, it is going to be about spacing, right? You can't just have a tour guide with with. 12 people trailing along behind and gathering around and, and doing it the old way, at least in the, in the short term, you're going to have to to figure out a way to kind of space everybody out. So they're not breathing on, Coughing on top of each
1: other. Yeah, it's because see, our, we've always been about volume here. The fort House, and mm. we try we never tried never to turn people away. I mean, our job is to to teach people story, and all of them that want to learn it. Um, so now we've got to figure out how to do that spaced out because you know we're urban house. That's what we're all about. We're not a a big uh, robber baron's home or um some plantation mm. house with lots of space. So we're gonna have to figure out some way that. Gonna, that's going to be safe for our docents and staff as well as for our patrons and how, and how everybody's going to feel comfortable with that experience <laughs>
0: Again, you are listening to a conversation with the Davenport House's Jamie Cradle on this episode of Difference Makers. We interrupt this interview to invite you to check out our latest digital initiative, Savannah's Town Square on Facebook. Obviously, you enjoy the podcast and many of you subscribe to our morning newsletter and watch or attend our monthly Brews and Views public forums. Savannah's Town Square is your chance to sound off. Every weekday, I post a talking point on Savannah's Town Square, a Facebook group page. Those who join the group are then free to engage with me and other members and discuss the topic. And unlike in comment sections and social media channels, we don't allow trolls and other mean-spirited posters to ruin what is meant to be a place for earnest, civil, and insightful dialogue. Go to Facebook today, search for Savannah's Town Square, and click the Join button. We'll get you in on the conversation. Now, here's the rest of the Difference Makers interview with Jamie Cradle.
2: goes to events, right? Because you use use an outdoor space for events and and that's going to kind of limit your capacity in terms of those, at least in the short term.
1: Yeah, yeah, see we, we, we're sort of known for our yellow fever uh, experience in October. We're not doing that this year. I don't think people even if we were able to get back together <laughs> that people are going to want to experience yellow wanna fever after experiencing, the, after experiencing the coronavirus. But yeah, it's good. Everything that we do has been um, predicated on touching people. And so to turn our paradigm and about face in like a, a, a Six weeks is, is sort of heady stuff. It's stuff that we're having a hard time grappling with. But um, something that, you know, it's good to, it's good to stretch and, and figure it out. And so that's what we're all trying to do.
2: Savannah tourism. I mean, the last 15 years, it's just exploded. Out-of-town visitors and, and new businesses popping up. And all of those are shuttered right now. When we come out of this, how do you see this changing the, the face of Savannah tourism?
1: You know, that's something that is a hor- I, I can't wrap my head around. I know that the people at Visit Savannah and Tourism Leadership Council and all those people are grappling with huge, um huge things. I mean with two and a half billion dollar tourist industry that's completely shuttered it's just it's just hard to um to even wrap your head around. Um I I it's gotta come back. I mean people say that it's gonna come back and you feel for our um our colleagues, um, that, um, that are just such hard workers that are just, time is just passing and there's no paycheck. And, um, I, you know, I can't, it's got to come back. I mean, there's just every, people have got so much invested in it, but what it is going to look like is anybody's guess. I am sure that there are um, smart people that are on the topic right now. Our, our, um, focus is on our site. Um, but you know, we are, we are not in a vacuum. All of the tour companies, there are our, our, um, brothers in arms, you know, and how they will come back uh, impacts us greatly. So, um, so, you know, how you do a, a motor coach tours, how you do trolley tours, um, in this new world, um, we would, we were looking forward to seeing how they're going to do it and how they, envision their future, um, you know, the, the foodie people, um, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, makes our city so exciting is all the, the opportunities for for, um, for the dining experiences and um, they're very resourceful people, all the carry out, the food truck and all of that. Um, you know, I have every faith that they're going to figure out, you know, how to make us different and, and better.
2: And, of course, the other part of that is how eager are people going to be to want to travel? Uh, you know, let's say we reopen middle of May or early June and 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 the economy starts to ramp up and, and people are the travel restrictions are lifted. We're probably looking at later this summer, maybe even later before a lot of people are, are willing to go out and travel and mix and, and do that again. And I think that's really uh, that's going to be telltale for of This town and, and how we weather this and how we come back from it.
1: Yeah, I, I just know that once people come out of their cave and they look to the sun, that, that yeah. they're going to want they're going to want to come out. Um, now, where mm-hmm. they come out to and what they do is a big question mark. But um, yeah. we certainly plan to welcome people back. Um, to the Davenport House and maybe having a, um, be a tourist in your own hometown and re-experience what makes us exciting and wonderful. We hope people are going to want to do. We will certainly be there for them. And, and, and to celebrate, you know, getting through it with, um, with you know, the people that have made it possible, you know, I, I'm in awe of the people that restock our shelves and, and, and um and and you know, take my money or my credit card and the truckers and 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 the people working at the hospital and the the data people. I think that the people in Savannah are gonna wanna thank those people and um and, and we're going to tr- try to figure out ways to do that um, as as well as staying open that um, that we can come together in that way.
2: All right, well, Jamie, thank you so much for your time and and sharing the Davenport House story yeah. and uh, we wish you well and hang in there as we go through this and we'll look forward to to getting back to it and and getting in for that 200th birthday celebration at at some point in the near future.
1: Well, I'm just so uh, pleased that you wanted to to talk to me about the Davenport House, and I look forward to getting my paper every morning, so thank you for what you do as well. (laughs)
0: Thanks to Jamie Cradle for sharing her story on Difference Makers. Thank you also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime at savannahnow.com slash podcasts or on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Savannah film and ice cream icon Stratton Leopold. Georgia Board of Regents member, Don Waters, and Savannah's new mayor, Van Johnson. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Our next episode will post May the 1st. Thank you for listening.